All right, opening your Bibles tonight to Hebrews chapter number 11, the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. For the past three weeks, we have been in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and we have looked at examples of faith in this chapter. The central theme of Hebrews chapter 11 is that of faith. And uh, so the emphasis is on what faith is and what faith is capable of doing and what faith does in us. And we began by looking at the simplicity of faith in the examples of Abel and Enoch and Noah. Then we took a moment and looked at the sojourning of faith in the life of Abraham and and Sarah, their son Isaac, his son Jacob, and his son Joseph. Then last week we spent some time looking at the standing up of faith. And if we have faith, it will cause us to take a stand for some things. We saw that in the life of Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses. We saw that in the life of Moses. And tonight I want us to take a few moments and consider and preach on the idea, the strength of faith. How strong really is faith? What are some things that faith can do? And so I want us to begin reading tonight. And uh, I'll tell you what, we'll begin at verse 24. We're not going to use all these verses but we won't know what we're reading when we get to verse 29 unless we do. The Word of God says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Notice especially verses 29, 30, and 31, our text is found there. The Word of God says, by faith they, speaking of the children of Israel, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, we thank You for this time and this opportunity. Lord, I thank You for each and every person that's here. And I pray that You, through Your loving kindness and Your mercy, would speak to each heart. Lord, You and You alone know what we need. But Father, I pray that You'd make known to us what our great need is and help us to look unto You to fulfill it. Lord, if there's any amongst us lost and in need of Christ, show them that need. Any amongst us that are backslidden and wayward from You, I pray that You'd show us our need of a close walk with You. And Lord, any amongst us that might be discouraged and need to be uplifted and encouraged, I pray that you do that tonight through the work of your Word and of your Holy Spirit. Lord, in all things, I pray that your Son would get the glory. Lord, we love you tonight. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In the verses that are before us, particularly verses 29, 30, and 31, we have three separate stories or narratives or events that are mentioned. And in these three events, we find we are in a transitional period of time. 
The nation of Israel has for 450 years been slaves in the land of Egypt. They went in as a family. They're going to come out as a nation. And as they leave that place, they become a nomadic group of people that are sojourning and traveling through the wilderness. And it's interesting that the things that are encompassed in in these verses... Did you notice that as we read these verses... Verse 29, it speaks of them passing through the Red Sea. Verse number 30 speaks of them in the promised land. Now, there's two important things that are overlooked between those two verses. One thing that is overlooked is the giving of the law. Now, wouldn't you think in a chapter as important as this that there'd be some mention about the moment when Moses was face to face with God and God gave him the Old Testament law. But the Word of God tells us that the law is not of faith. But whosoever uh, doeth what is required, doeth what is therein, shall live by it. And so faith, uh, the law is not mentioned in accordance with faith. There's a second thing that is interestingly absent, and that is their wilderness wanderings. When they left out of Egypt and passed through the Red Sea, they had about 11 days' journey from there to the promised land. And yet they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness until an entire generation of them that were grown and accountable uh, died in the wilderness and a new generation was raised up. You say, why is that, preacher? The Bible tells us it was because of their unbelief. And so the wilderness wanderings are not mentioned. So a great transition takes place within these verses. The first event that's mentioned happens uh, about 40, 45 years before the next two events that are mentioned. And as we look at these, uh, I began to think about what faith has the ability to do. And I found some interesting things in this passage. And I just want to, I'll just hush and get to preaching, amen. I want you to notice in these passages, we have basically three thoughts set before us in these three verses. And I've chosen tonight to address them in reverse order. I hope that's okay. Everybody tells me I'm a little backwards sometimes, so I figured I'd just turn around and be frontwards, amen? But I want us to look at them in the reverse order that our text presents them. In Ahab, we see that faith, or Rahab, we see that faith has the strength to bring us out of the accursed city. In the life of Joshua and the walls of Jericho, we see that faith has the ability to bring us over the obstructing circumstances that we face. And then in the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea, we see that faith has the strength to bring us through the overwhelming situations that we find ourselves in. And I want you to notice first off the story of Rahab. Most of us are familiar with this story. But I'm interested with her description in verse number 31. Notice what it says with me. The Bible says, by faith, the harlot Rahab. Now, isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you think that when she makes it all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, she wouldn't be called a harlot anymore? Certainly after God saved her that day, she was never the same. And in fact, you find if you study the lineage of Christ, that Rahab was one of the few women that are mentioned in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no question in my mind that her life changed eternally that day when she uh, looked in faith to the one true God. And yet the Bible still calls her a harlot. Wonder why God would allow that to be so. Well, can I say this? I I understand that there is a fear sometimes of glorifying sin, but understand that your past is forgiven. That don't mean it's erased. And there's a reason for that. 
Because sometimes it's good for folks to know how deep in we were to find out how far up He brought us out. And there could have been a hundred things said about Rahab. Certainly it could have said by faith, Rahab, the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. It could have said by faith, the woman that dwelt in Jericho. It could have said by faith, the Canaanite woman that helped the spies. But no, God doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't whitewash anything. Instead, He lays it right out there for all of us to understand that this woman was of the lowest class of society. She had lived one of the most sinful lives imaginable. She was worthless uh, in the eyes of most of those around her. And yet, by faith, she found God. What a blessing when we consider her description. You know what a harlot is? A harlot's a prostitute. The Bible makes no secret about that. And yet, God, faith, has the ability and the strength to change the life of even the worst of sinners. Can I just remind you tonight, I know it's a Sunday night. Everybody here would say they're saved. I know that. We all know the right answers, you know. But can I just remind you that faith, that the grace of God and, and, and grace exercised by the faith of the individual has the capability to save even the lowest of the low and the darkest of the dark and the worst of the worst. Sometimes we have a tendency, you know, my sins aren't that bad. Yours are pretty rough, right? That's how we think sometimes. Mine are okay, but yours, yours are in bad shape. You know what Paul said? Paul was a religious person. I mean, can I put it, can I put it kind of uh, uh, in a silly way? Paul was a church kid. Is that okay to say that? Paul had grown up at the feet of Gamaliel. He had grown up in a religious household. I mean, this is, I mean, this is the kid that memorized the most verses at vacation Bible school, you understand? This is the kid whose parents, you know, you've heard him say before he's on drugs growing up. They drug him to church Sunday morning, drug him to church Sunday night, drug him to church Wednesday. I mean, this is a good kid. And Paul lived a religious life. And yet, you know what he says about himself before he met the Lord on the road to Emmaus? He calls himself the chiefest of sinners. He says, I laid waste to the church of God. I lived my entire life in rebellion to the one that I now call Lord and Master. Let me say, just because your sins may not be the kind that people paint with a black brush, that doesn't mean they're not still wicked in the eyes of God. I was a ten-year-old boy when I got saved, but wouldn't you know that I was headed to the same hell that everybody else was headed to? I was headed to the same damnation that everybody else was headed to. You say, why, preacher, you had not done all that, uh, that many things wrong? Well, you don't have to do very many things wrong. In fact, it's not really about what you do wrong. It's about who and what you are and how you're born. You and I both were born sinners into this world. We're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's our nature. That's who we are. Rahab was no different than you or I. Her sin may have been a public sin, and it may have been a, a open sin, and it may have been an abhorrent sin, but your sin will send a man to hell just like her sin and just like my sin would. And the Bible pulls no punches in giving us her description. So we see her description. She is a harlot Rahab. She is a worthless woman in society's eyes to be bought and sold and to be treated like a commodity. But look at the next phrase. The Bible says the harlot Rahab, what? She perished not. Now, wait a minute. I don't know about you, but I think if there was a woman walking around that was about, oh, 3,000 years old, we'd probably know that, wouldn't we? That's not to say that Rahab never died in her life. Certainly, there came a point in in her sojourn on this earth where she laid down her head and slipped away into eternity as all flesh does. 
but it's talking about a different sort of perishing. It's saying and it's likening those that died in the destruction of the city of Jericho to those that die without the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there's some New Testament language that's used. It's a real obscure verse, and you may have never heard it, but uh, it's in your Bible just like it's in mine. It goes like this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. In Rahab, we have a picture of one that has escaped the damnation of hell and the sure sentence of her sin nature. We find somebody that found God, and how did she do it? Did she do it by doing good works? No, we really don't have a a, a big long list of good things that Rahab did. In fact, the Bible still in Hebrews chapter 11 is calling her a harlot because it's not based upon the things you do. It's not based upon your pedigree, and it's not based upon your, uh, your potential, but it's based upon one thing and one thing alone. We see her description and her deliverance, but notice her difference. What was different about Rahab that caused her to be saved, whereas everyone else in Jericho perished? Well, look what it says, with them that what? Believed not. Faith has the ability to bring the sinner out of an accursed place. And by the way, this world is accursed. There is is a shelf life and an expiration date on this world, in case you didn't know that. And there's a shelf life and an expiration date on your life and my life, just in case you didn't know that. If the Lord tarries, there'll come a time when my heart will stop beating, when my brain, what little bit of function it has, will quit functioning. And I will go home to meet the Lord. If a person was to die without Christ, they'd close their eyes in death and wake them up in hell fire. We're all facing that day. But Rahab, even though she was a harlot, even though she was wicked, even though she hadn't done a thing to earn it, it was all vested in this one simple truth that she put her faith in the living God. Now you say, preacher, is it enough just to believe in God? Well, at that time, of course, uh, Jesus Christ hadn't uh, been manifest in the flesh in the way that He has now. We have more revelation. We have more light in this day that we live in. What does the Bible say? Uh, The Bible says that we're to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is that gospel? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Moreover, brethren, I deliver unto you that which also I received at the first, how that Jesus Christ uh, of Nazareth, was crucified according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That Christ died in your place and in my place and was buried and raised again in power and in glory for your sins and my sins. We'll simply look to Him. He is God, by the way. We'll simply look to Him the same way Rahab looked to the one true God. Then we can find salvation. Yeah, I believe that faith is that strong. It's interesting to me that in all of the things that they could have talked about, have you ever stopped and thought about the things that were not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11? Have you ever thought about the times when people by faith did great and mighty things, and yet those are lumped into the next category? What does it say in verse 32? And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of, and it goes on through a list. It mentions Gideon in that passage who defeated uh, the Midianites. It mentions David in that passage who uh, defeated the giant uh, who God used in a mighty way. It mentions Samuel in this passage uh, whom God used 
in such a mighty way in Israel. And then it goes through and it names people that it doesn't really name. It says, through faith they subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And yet all those people God didn't give time to. But this poor little harlot woman, He says, I've got time to mention what faith did in her life. What a miracle it is when God saves the sinner. What a miracle it is when God saves the sinner. All the things that God said, I don't have time, but I'll stack it right next to all the mighty things that I've done when I save the poor lost sinner. That's a miracle of God. So we see in this passage that faith has the strength to bring us out of the accursed city. But look at verse number 30. We see that faith has the strength to bring us over the obstructing circumstances. You know the scene, I'm sure, and I know it as well. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. You've seen the scene before uh, in your mind's eye about the mighty fortress walls of Jericho and how that the children of Israel were commanded of God to occupy uh, Canaan, to occupy the promised land, to destroy those kingdoms that were therein. I want you to notice uh, the task that was entrusted for them. It was an impossible task. I mean, there's nothing harder. Uh, You always want the, the fortified high ground in a battle. Is that not true? And here the nation of Israel are. They're nomadic people. They had, listen, they had just left Egypt with nothing but the victuals that they had and, and, and what things that they could carry with them. They're not a standing army. They don't have a base of operations. And yet God has tasked them with destroying the mighty ancient city of Jericho. It was an impossibility. Can I say this? Everything God asks us to do is impossible in the natural man. Everything. You say, well, some stuff's simple, preacher. Uh, you know, reading your Bible's pretty simple. You can't read your Bible and get anything out of it in the natural man, because the Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. It's impossible. You say, well, preacher, uh, you know, what about prayer? Prayer's easy. You just talk to God. Well, you can't really accomplish prayer like it ought to be in the natural man, because the Bible says the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities with groanings and utterings which cannot be discerned. So, in other words, the the only way we can really pray in a way that gets a hold of heaven in a real and lasting way is to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and to pray according to His leading. You say, well, preacher, I mean, hey, at least I can go to church. I mean, that's easy. Is it? Is it? Wonder how many folks intended on being back here tonight that aren't. Wonder if it was the Spirit of God that encouraged them to lay in that warm bed and sleep on for a little longer. Or I wonder if it was the natural man that told them they could just stay in bed, lay out, it wouldn't affect them. Ain't no telling. I'm not fussing. You're here tonight. But ain't no telling what kind of blessing they miss by not being here. Not not because of what I would preach or anything, but what God might do in their heart. The natural man wants to rob us of that, and he does the best that he can. Can I just sum it up in one simple verse? 
Christ said this, For without me, ye can do nothing. It's that simple. Nothing. You know where all of our failures come in the Christian life? They come from living the Christian life without Christ. That's where they come from. You say, but I, preacher, I'm saved. I've got Christ. Well, I understand that you've got Him, but does He have you? I mean, does He have a hold of your life? Does He have all of it? Are you living for Him? You see, all the failures that we face are a result of us not leaning on Christ and living for Him. Because without Him, we can do nothing. Not small things, not a few things, not, not things that are unimportant, but nothing can be done without Christ. So it must be done in faith. So we see the task that is entrusted to them. But I want you to notice the triumph that they enjoyed. What happened? Now, you remember the story. They were tasked with, with walking about the wall uh, for seven days, and, and uh, then they were going to blow the trumpets and shout, and the walls were going to come down. Can I say this as respectfully? I mean, I mean this respectfully. I really do. But that's, that's sort of a silly plan, is it not? In fact, I know of only one time that that's really worked in human history, and it's what we're talking about tonight. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's how it worked the rest of the time. I mean, I don't think that's, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that's how Grant took Richmond or what have you. I don't think he did that. No, the reality is that this was a silly plan according to the natural man. It didn't make sense. But you know, oftentimes God's means don't make sense to the natural man. And yet they obeyed the Lord and these walls, these physical walls tumbled to the ground. In response to what? Was it to the shouting? Let me tell you something. I, you know, I've, I've got a little boy now, and there's kids everywhere here. I mean, you, you see them. So they'll just, kids, kids I've never even seen before will run by sometimes. That worries me as a pastor. There's a liability issue there. I don't even know where they've come from. I, whose child is that? That's one, not one of ours. Somebody shut the door, you know. And we got children everywhere. Man, them kids, they can yell sometimes, you know. They get loud. I don't know that. That is the strongest part of that little child's body is their voice box. But loud as my boy is sometimes, or some of the other kids, I've never noticed the walls trembling because of it. I don't think it was a shouting. Maybe it was the trumpets. I've heard some people play pretty bad sometimes, but I've never heard someone play bad enough to bring the walls down. Maybe it was the, the walking around. I, I don't know. I, you know, I've, I, I'm not a NASCAR person. I'm really not. I, I don't have any... In, and it's going to hurt your feelings. That's okay. We're friends. I love you. But I got no interest in 180 miles, turn left. 180 miles, turn left. 180 miles an hour, turn I got no interest in that. Now, you may enjoy that, and that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. As long as it ain't idle, I guess that's okay. But it don't interest me. But I went to a race one time. I went to Bristol one time. Uh, and it was the last time. And it was the only time. And I went to Bristol. And man, them cars. You know, Bristol's a small track anyway. I mean, it fit in this building. And it, but as fast as those cars went around, and as many times as they went around, I never noticed any of the stadium crumbling. What was it that accomplished it? Well, the Bible tells us, by faith, walls of Jericho fell. By faith, that happened. And so faith, in response to what God has called and commanded us to do, has the ability to change the world that we live in and to do supernatural things. But I want you to notice something else. This was interesting to me. Notice the time that was required. The time that was essential. The Bible's very specific to say this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about 
seven days. After. Something I found interesting in this passage is every single of these three examples, there's always an evidence of the faith that's mentioned. For the Red Sea, the Bible says they pass through. They trust the Lord. You say, I don't know if that's trusting the Lord. Well, let's see if you do it. You get about halfway out in the middle of that sea and that water just piled up on either side. That's faith. That's faith. What about Rahab? Well, the Bible's very clear to say it. I mean, it goes out of its way. It says, when she had received the spies with peace. It wasn't her reception of those spies with peace that saved her, but they were evidence of the faith that she had. And we see here, uh, concerning the walls of Jericho, that the evidence of their faith was that they were obedient to the Word of God in walking around the city for seven days. In other words, they trusted the Word of God even when the Word of God didn't seem to be working too well. It's funny, I've got... We, we watch uh, VeggieTales. Anybody a VeggieTales fan? Richard? VeggieTales? I, I could tell. And, uh, you know, they ain't King James, but Bible characters ain't vegetables anyway, so I don't think he's going to take that too seriously. But, uh, we, you know, we watch VeggieTales, and, and we've got one that's, uh, that's the walls of Jericho, you know. And they've got the, 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 the French peas. You know what the French peas are? You've, a few of you, those of you that have kids are going, mm-hmm, yes, sir, preach, right there. Yeah, the French peas get up on the wall, and, and they mock them, you know, and they're like throwing slushies down on them. I don't know if it went that way. I, I'm kind of thinking it probably didn't. But I'm betting this, there was probably a lot of mocking going on. Probably a lot of scorning going on. Probably a lot of humiliation for those first six days. But you know what they did? They just kept trusting the Word of God. You know, we don't listen to me now. If you just serve God for the fruit, you won't serve God very long. You know what Christ said? My meat, my meat. He didn't say fruit, He said my meat. That which sustains me is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. He didn't say, my meat is to see the results. He said, my meat is to do. My food, that which sustains me, is to do the work of God. If you only serve God to see results, and not because He's worthy of our service and He's worthy of our lives, if the only reason you ever serve Him is to see the fruit, you're not going to serve Him very long. Because you're going to have some days that things ain't going to work out like you're hoping and expecting them to. And for six days, it didn't work out like they expected it to. For six days, they were a mockery. For six days, they made fun of them. For six days, you can imagine how Joshua must have felt. He's got to keep that crew in line. He's got to keep them following. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about, uh, about hundreds of thousands that he had to keep faithfully marching around that city. Don't you know that burden was heavy? But he just trusted God. Sometimes it takes a little time. Not because God needs time, but because you need time. Because sometimes what God's trying to accomplish isn't accomplished when the walls fall down. It's accomplished when our hearts are given over in faith unto Him. God was trying to do a lot more in the children of Israel than He ever was in the walls of Jericho. And though the walls of Jericho could have tumbled down before they ever even stepped up to them, that which needed to be accomplished in the hearts of the children of Israel could only be done after they had encompassed the city for seven days. So faith has that ability. When we're facing problems, faith has the ability to take us over them and to move them out of the way. And I'm thankful for that. God's done that in my life sometimes. But look with me finally at verse 29. 
Because sometimes God will cause that wall to fall down. And then sometimes He won't. Sometimes He doesn't bring you over the obstructing circumstances. Instead, He brings you through the overwhelming situation. And let me say this, that God will not bring you to anything that He will not bring you either over or through. He will always see you over or see you through whatever you're facing. We like it when God uh, sees us over that which we're facing. You, you know, we, we, I'm sure Moses would have a lot rather just got, uh, taken Pharaoh out of the way, but that wasn't God's plan. I'm sure Moses would a lot rather God have just took Pharaoh out of the way, destroyed the Egyptians, and said, here they are, they're set free. But that's not how God did it. Instead, what does it say in verse 29? It says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, a saying to do, were drowned. Now, you remember, the, it, listen, if you've never read your Bible, you've seen Charlton Heston, so I know you know what I'm talking about, amen? Uh, you, you've seen the picture uh, that is set before us here. The nation of Israel has left, by faith in the blood that's been shed, they have left Egypt. God has smitten the firstborn of, of every Egyptian household. And Pharaoh, in his rage and anger, has said, All right, go. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I want you to take uh, yourself and, and your God with you and leave. And then Pharaoh got to thinking about that. <laughs> and he just let, let his entire workforce go. And he says, Uh-oh. So he gathers his chariots up and he begins to pursue them. They come to the Red Sea. And now they have the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. What's going to happen? They can either wait and be overrun or go ahead and get overwhelmed. What are they going to do? Let me say there's times in our life when we face those same situations. You either wait and get overrun or go ahead and get overwhelmed and you have nowhere to turn. What do you do? Well, you do what Moses did. Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You see, when you can't go forward and you shouldn't go back, all there is to do is to stand there until God makes a way. Or can I put it a little more plain? When you don't know what else to do, do what you know to do. Be faithful to the Lord. You, you may not know how you're going to fix your problems up in front of you, but you know how to do right right now. So do right right now. We see their situation. I want you to notice, first off in this passage, we see the dividing of the Red Sea. God moved his, their circumstances, but He did not bring them over top of it. Instead, He brought them through it. We all wish that God would do away with our problems, but sometimes that's not His will. And we just have to cope with that. Now, I don't say that begrudgingly, but I do say that as a human being, not understanding always what God's doing. I know some preachers get up and they've got everything figured out. Uh, tell me how they do that, because I don't. There's times God does stuff and I can't figure what God's doing. It doesn't make any sense. That don't really bother me. The Bible told me it'd be that way. The Bible told me that, that my thoughts are not His thoughts and my ways are not His ways. And so it should be no surprise that I don't always understand what God's doing. But there's times when I pray and ask God to, to move something in my life or to do something in my life. Can I give you an example that I think will ring very genuine to, to a lot of you? And that is issues of health. We believe around here that God has the ability to heal, and He does. I can't heal you. Nobody else can heal you. But God, if it's His will, He can heal you. If you don't believe me, let's sit down for a minute and we'll just get about 30 people that I know to come walking through and tell you their story because God does have the ability. I can't. If you want me to smack you on the head, I can't. It ain't going to help you. 
In fact, if I hit you hard enough, it might hurt you. I, I can't, I mean, I, I can drown you in olive oil, and that olive oil won't do anything. I can cut up my, I ain't going to cut up my suits. I like this suit. But I could cut up my suit and give you pieces of that. It won't fix anything. What I'm saying is, all that nonsense on TV is just that. It's nonsense. None of that has the ability. But when it's the will of God, He can heal in the body. He's able to do that. And we pray often. And I get, I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of churches won't. They're afraid of doing that. But it's scriptural. The book of James teaches us uh, to pray whenever we're sick. And so we do that. Boy, I, you know, I wish it was always the will of God to heal. I do. I wish that it always was. But I'm faced with this reality in those circumstances. There's times when we pray and we ask God to heal in the body and that person prays and God doesn't heal. Now, I'm faced with one of two things. Either it's always the will of God to heal, and if it is, those people don't have enough faith and I have to make a judgment upon their life based upon that when I don't think it's my place or any of y'all's place or anybody but God's place to do just that. Because we find people in the Bible... Uh, that uh, absolutely were people of faith whom God chose not to heal. Or I have to face the reality that sometimes it's the will of God to do that and sometimes it's not. Sometimes God heals us immediately in, in the body and sometimes He heals us by taking us on to heaven or as those that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see, everybody that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, when they leave this world, they're healed in that moment. They don't deal with pains and and heartaches and sorrows any longer. I wish it was always the will of God to heal, but, but the reality is it's not always the will of God. And that doesn't make God unkind or unjust, because you see, He's the author and finisher of our faith, the Hebrews writer says. In the very next chapter, He's the author and finisher of our faith. So He doesn't just know what's best for us at the beginning, but He can see on to the end and He knows what's best for us then. And God's will is always perfect. And it's always just what we need. I'm sure they would have loved for God to just destroy the Egyptians without them having to pass over. But you see, God had something for them on the other side of that sea. Let me, I'm going to try to say this best I can. The Egyptians were not what they were being delivered from. The Egyptians were what God was using to get them to the other side. See, a lot of times we think our problems, we're praying for God to take our problems away, but those problems are the very things that God is using to drive us closer to Him. You remember what Paul said? Paul, Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh that he had. And he would go on to say about this thorn in the flesh, he said, I will therefore glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But before that, Paul says this, I, I besought the Lord thrice. Thrice that it might be removed from me. Three times. And I'll tell you what I think that means. I don't think Paul's saying, well, three times I prayed about it. I think Paul's saying it went on my prayer list and off my prayer list three times. He said over three distinct periods in my life, I prayed and asked God to take this away. Now, Paul is a man that prayed and got things from God. But the Lord answered and God said, what? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Have you ever thought about this? Paul was, Paul was asking God to take away the very thing that brought God the most glory in his life. Because he couldn't see it the way God could see it. We think the Egyptians are what we need to get away from, when the reality is oftentimes the problems we're facing are that which is driving us closer to the Lord. We see the division of the sea, but notice the dryness of the soul. The Bible says, as by dry land. 
Well, that messes them up when, when they, uh, you know, the, the real smart folks that are, think they're smarter than the Bible, that really messes them up because uh, they, they've said for a lot of years, you know, that they've tried to, to come up with ways that all the plagues in Egypt naturally occurred. And, and uh, you know, they've said things like, well, you know, the, the, uh, the, the kelp or whatever, uh, you know, caused the, the red in the water and the water drove the frogs on the land and the frogs caused the fin and so on and so forth. And they've, they've come to the crossing of the Red Sea and they've said that there's a place that is shallow enough for people to cross over when the tide is low. My old preacher used to say this, and this is just kind of common sense that I think we need in this day. Uh, used to say, there's a greater miracle then if that's the case that took place. Because if that's the case, then you don't have to tell me how they passed over, but you have to tell me how Pharaoh's army drowned in reef <laughs> and in a shallow place. But no, the Bible's clear about it. When they passed over, they passed over on dry land. Now, only God could do that. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that God had a way of bringing them through that without them even muddying their feet. I'm thankful for the things that stick with us because of our trials. We need them. But let me say this. There's not a thing that will stick to you in the midst of your trials except what God wants to stick to you. You remember the... We call them three Hebrew children. They were men. But uh, Hananiah and, uh, and Mishael and, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, you remember what the Bible says about them, that Nebuchadnezzar put them in, in the fiery furnace? There's another VeggieTales about that, in case you're curious. Come to me after service, I'll tell you about it. But they put them into the fiery furnace. And the Bible says that, that when they came out, that all it did was burn the ropes off. That the hair of their head wasn't singed. That, they, that no harm was done to them. And that there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. You see, God has the ability of using our our trials to, to do away with that which is not needed and to preserve that which we need the most. God, had, that fire was hot enough that it killed the men that threw them into it. And yet God preserved them. And the only thing, listen to me, the only thing that they lost in that fire was what the Babylonians had put on them. The only thing, can I put it just a little different? The only thing that they lost in the fire was that which the world had placed on them. It's the only thing. In other words, oftentimes through our trials and circumstances that God brings us through, the only thing we lose is that which the devil and the world and the flesh has placed upon us. But God has a way of preserving that which would bring Him the most glory. And they passed through as by dry land. They didn't even muddy their feet. Then finally, I want you to notice, we see in this passage the dividing of the sea and the, and, and the dryness of the soil. But I want you to notice the drowning of the sinners. The Bible says, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. In other words, what could be faced with faith could not be faced without faith. Now, I understand we're dealing with two classes of people here. I understand that. You've got the Israelites, which are the people of God. I mean, they, they put their faith in God. And the Egyptians, and Egypt in particular, is a picture of sin and, and of the world in, in the Word of God. I understand that. But the key and pivotal thing that God's pointing to in this passage is faith. Those with faith were able to go through. Those without faith were overwhelmed. Let me say this tonight. There's times, and I'm closing with this. There's times that if we don't put our faith in the Lord, we'll drown. Spiritually. 
I don't mean we'll lose our salvation or die and go to hell. That's not what I'm saying. If you're saved by the grace of God, you can't get unsaved even if you wanted to get unsaved. You're in His hand now, friend, and you can't pluck yourself out. But what I am saying is this. Spiritually, we can get overwhelmed and we can give up. That's what happens when a man drowns usually, isn't it? He just gets tired of fighting and he sinks. And that can happen in our life. That's the difference between faith and unbelief. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Preacher, I've been doing my best to to doggy paddle and keep up in this race. But I'm very weak and I'm very worn. And I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed. Preacher, I, I want you to pray for me. I don't want you to lift up a hand yet. But listen, tonight, before you leave this place, I want you to find a place at this altar... And I want you to get from the Lord the help that you need. I can't give it to you. I'm not able. But I want you to come and place your faith in Him and get from Him the help and strength that you need. He may destroy. He may move the obstacle out of the way like He did the walls. Or He may bring you through it. But whatever it is, faith has the strength to see us through the things that we're facing.